Welcome to the Save the Universe podcast, episode 42. We're back, sort of, almost. <laughs> Bird and Shell couldn't make it, and I tried uh, a few other people, and they couldn't make it. So it's just me and Wander this time. How you hey. doing? I'm tired. There's going to be way playing... less fighting over airspace. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I've, uh, I've just had one of those like long weeks where it's just like new games come out, and I'm just like, I can fit this in, I believe I can. And but you can't. Well, I I've been you doing can, a fairly but good also job. You of can't. It. Yeah, I, I've I've really started doing that whole just binge a game through. You know, maybe spend four nights on it and then never come back to it ever again. And that's actually been super nice. The problem is I need to sit down and actually edit this stuff. So like, I think I have got about twenty five episodes of Dungeons Three just sitting around in my backlog. Oh man, uh, waiting to go up. I did, I did have a session where I got through 10 episodes of Yakuza in one day, and I'm like, that's an unusual quantity of one show just sitting there. <laughs> but it's just so, that game's so playable. Uh, yeah. Are you doing anything for Halloween? That's coming um, up. We were toying with the idea of trying to rush through Dead Space 1 or maybe 1, 2, and 3 is just kind of Fitting. several things, because they're not that long. I um Kind of. <laughs> I don't know if you'd be able to... I don't, I don't know if that's a singular year uh, Halloween event. No, uh, They're all 10-hour uh, games, and Dead Space 3 is supposed to be longer than either of the other two. That's yeah, a lot. Yeah, Dead Space 1 is 11 hours, uh, Dead Space 3 is 13 to 18, and Dead Space 2 is 9 Jeez, to 12. So Jesus. it would be doable. It would just take about two weeks, uh, which obviously yeah. we've, kind of, we've kind of already passed that. And then the uh, videos recorded in the process of your uh, your Halloween marathon would be like coming out for like a third of the year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't care that much. It would just be kind of a fun thing. But I think we might end up playing like Last of Us or Vanishing of Ethan Carter instead. Vanish Vanishing of Ethan Carter is not really a Halloween game. Yeah, it was just creepy. Or, or at all. It was more the ambiance. Yeah. It's, um... It's weird. It's like, yeah, there's not. It's not... It's not nearly as much of a horror game or even a creepy game as the title makes it sound like. Yeah. More like it's, a chill walk-around game, game. I, where you uncover something. I, I watched part of... It was part of your playthrough, right? You played it yeah, a I little while it. ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's I was very, like, I watched it's somebody very comparable play comparable to Edith Finch. Yeah. I Those games fascinate me. I just have never had the time whenever they come out. And I'm like, eh. And they also seem to get like latched onto by a bunch of larger YouTubers, which... You know, usually I'll I'll be like, well, if I'm already on the wall about it, I'll, I'll just go play something else because my schedule's already crazy full. Yeah, for anyway. me, I, I decided for Halloween because uh, people kept asking me to play Halloween games, but they kept play, uh, the most demanded thing was uh, what is it called? Uh, Evil Within Two. Yes. And I'm like, every single podcast and channel and discussion and anything I've ever encountered about the Evil Within was exclusively negative. So the demand really? was surprising to me. I've never heard anything. I've never heard anyone that I actually listened to like say good things about the first game, so I never really got around to it. But I'm I was confused by the pressure to play the second game because I think it's a direct story sequel, and I'm like I've never played Evil Within. Why would I start with two? I I heard the first one was okay. I haven't heard a thing about the second one. But, yeah, I mean that's probably best because if there's no outcry towards it, that probably means it's a decent game, just forgettable. So what I did instead is I just picked up Silent Hill <laughs> and yeah, started enough. doing the first, my first or... ever playthrough of the first Silent Hill. 
Yeah, it actually looks like Evil Within 2 got decent reviews. Eh. I don't know. Might be a fun thing at some point. It's just... More games. Also... I've been shocked by Silent Hill 1. Really? Like, it is... A almost... Bizarrely good-looking game. For what is a PS1 game. Like, I'm used to, like, Final I, Fantasy so VII you're graphics. Playing, you're playing the the not HD collection, correct? There is no HD collection for Silent Hill 1. It's never been remade or redone, ex- unless you count the Shattered Memories. That's supposed to be a reimagining of it for Wii. Okay. So the PS1 version is the only one that ever existed. And I'm playing it in disc form, but on my PS3. But you can buy it for, huh. you can buy it for only $6 on PS3. Really? Uh, if you oh, get it digitally. Via digital. I was like, yeah. physical copy? No, physical, wait, the... physical was not $6. Yeah. It wasn't expensive. I don't I don't think it turned out to be expensive, but I've, it's, I've long since forgotten what I paid for it. But it wasn't $6. <laughs> uh, a lot of things have surprised me. What The biggest one is definitely just how good-looking the game is. Like In particular, something they really weirdly nailed was like the <laughs> lens flare of your flashlight pointing at the camera. Like a lot of the times you'll transition between rooms and you'll walk through a door and you'll fade to black then fade back to game and then your character will be facing the screen and the the camera will be the the chest flashlight they're wearing will be pointing at the screen and like the the god rays that come from not god rays is not the right thing to call it but like the the lens flare effect is like weirdly beautiful to watch just sort of wandering around these environments and stuff like that and it's all drab jittery like awkward looking pixels of graphics and everything and polygonal people but the game's so dark and there's so many like t- attentions to like aesthetic and directing from time to time that like it's actually like a weirdly compelling visual experience for a PS1 game. Yeah no I'm looking at the uh I'm looking at screenshots admittedly uh some of these are showing off some pretty amazing visual bugs Yeah, but uh no it does look like it's kind of one of those style over like direct quality though i'm sure at the time it was actually amazing yeah it's surprisingly comparable to stuff like lone survivor that has come out over the years that's supposed to be inspired by it on like the general aesthetic of like how it handles pixel art uh not not pixel art but i mean like uh, lone survivor was was a pixel art game and like it's surprisingly similar in its aesthetic as it turns out to the original silent hill in ways that i didn't fully understand at the time and also i don't know if you saw the silent hill movie ever i did I saw so the m- first one. I don't think I touched the second. Never do. The- it's so bad. Yeah, I figured. The second the second movie is baffling. That's but almost always true, though. But, like, you'll remember at the beginning of the first movie, the woman's looking for her daughter, and, like, she has already encountered the police officer and stuff like that, I think. But she want- she ends up alone at one point, walking through, like, dark alleys with, like, pipes above her, and you, and it, you can see... As she's walking through those alleys, the the transition from like foggy Silent Hill to sirens blaring to like weird dark alley hellscape, and then eventually monsters. What surprised me is like that that scene has a really cool camera angle in the movie, where the camera goes overhead and is swooping around through the alleyways above her and stuff like that, and going into these different angles, but all as one continuous shot while she goes into this this really cool transition. That's in the original movie. I mean, the original game. Huh. Like, that's like, neat. Like, note for note, every camera angle, the turning, winding alleyway, and the transition from white fogginess to dark, raining blackness and blood and barbed wire everywhere is actually from the original PS1 game. And it's so shocking to see, like, a weirdly, like, well-directed shot in a 
PS1 era video game. Like, I I, never, yeah. I didn't really know cinematography in video games was at that level yet. There wasn't really, but I Silent Hill would be the place to expect it. Maybe Resident Evil 1, but not really. Because, like, cutscenes were hardly a thing back oh, in the no. day. It's just like, oh, no, something happened. Resident Evil 1 was a lot of, if I remember correctly, a lot of, like, shot, reverse shot, and then awkward dialogue of, like, you were almost a Jill sandwich, and I'm the master of unlocking, and stuff like that. Like, it, I... It's it's silly. <laughs> I will admit, as far as Resident Evil goes, uh, the first Resident Evil I ever played was the light gun shooter on the Wii, uh, <laughs> followed by five with you for that short-lived six. non-series. Was that six? Yeah, I don't know. They blend together. Right, right. Because five was a, the one with the six is a brilliant special kind of bad. If yeah, five just looked awful, I, I watched uh, Shell and our friend in college. Uh, try and play it, and they couldn't figure out how to reload their guns because they had to like go into their inventory mid combat, and it was on the it was on the PlayStation Three. So like, you don't necessarily already... have to go into your guns, but there was a weird thing where like I think in the in all the modern Resident Evil games, maybe even the older ones, you have to like in order to reload, you have to like aim then press the interact button. Yeah, so it's like Suffice even though you're walking say... around, you have to like press left trigger then X or something, and it's like they couldn't figure it out. And I was too drunk to help, so they got killed. <laughs> I got turned off Resident Evil 5 just because I I rented it and I was playing it alone. So I, I, I had no real investment to keep going and it was a rental. So even less investment to really stick with it. And uh, I hit like one of the first chainsaw dudes in the entire game. And he one shot me, which is what they're supposed to do. But then it reset me to like the beginning of the entire zone. And I'm like, I don't really want to replay a zone every time that happens. Yeah, no. Because it's not a scary game because it's a middle of the day like you're fighting mobs of enemies get game with awkward controls like there's no horror to it but also like the save system sucks like in older horror games you have to manually save at a specific location usually so it's like a kind of a mad dash to get to and from there but there's a lot of like mad scrambling away from like various enemies and trying to like avoid combat altogether in many cases and like there's a survival aspect that makes the save system make sense but then in action games, oftentimes you kind of go like in a Call of Duty game, you go you go room to room, and if you die in a and if you die in that room, you start that room over usually. But in a in Resident Evil Five, I think if you got chainsawed, you basically start the whole zone over, and it's like that's no, <laughs> there's no there's no mechanical reason that I can think of for the system to be the way that's handled for a game that has one shot kills sometimes, and I just didn't have any desire to continue. I hate sure games so. that one shot you. Just in general, it's like I, sh- I sure wasn't going to stick around for the story. <laughs> yeah. So on the topic five. of horror, I hear this just like loud creaking noise from behind. I guess Shell is trying to stealthily leave the room so she can get dinner because uh, <laughs> she's in the bedroom. And I just turn around and there's just like a small sliver of Shell face and eye staring at me uh, from the doorway, and it's just like that's. All right. I tried to get it on camera, but she absconded. <laughs> it's a sign. Yes. In a way, I guess, I guess you kind of are playing a Halloween game. It, uh, which one? Are we talking... Because you're playing a game where a bunch of kids dress up in costumes in their neighborhood and, and make fantasy with each other. Sorry, Shell is trying to participate in the podcast from a distance and I can't hear you. She never really I... figures that out still. I'm no, just these like, microphones can't pick her up apart from me. me, 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 me. No, and I and I, she can't hear me anyway, so it's like she's not yeah. in the conversation either way. The uh, 
Like you're you're playing a game about kids that get in costumes and run around their neighborhood and do make believe. It's great. Which it's is fun. literally the constant. Well, not literally the concept of Halloween, but it's the modern application of that. At least like costume yeah. quest. I actually really wish they had um, gone with like Halloween uh, as the like date for it or something. Maybe uh, it so might that, have been so like you, a little bit of so that you acne. couldn't do any of the series in time for Halloween. <laughs> um, mainly just because it's a. Uh, it's a oh wow maybe Halloween's, it's because I, Halloween's actually a Tuesday this week. Yeah, I never year. actually got into Halloween or not. Nah, I never got into South Park, um, and so it's kind of weirdly disjointed having all these kids running around in what seems to be midwinter. Um, and I guess that must be like all the time for them because I think it's always cold where they are. Um, no, but they're just, in Colorado. Yeah. Which is weird because they share a border with Canada. I don't know. Whatever. I'm not going to question the logic of the <laughs> South Park universe. Uh, well, the United States shares a border with Canada and the dimensions of the games are whatever they feel like. <laughs> true. Um, but I don't know. It just would have been cool to have the Halloween imagery uh, to go along with it as opposed to just kind of like, well, it's winter, I guess. Uh, yeah. But I guess that probably would have made it seem a little bit more normal for them running around in costume instead of like this kind of weird universe where the kids are just accepted to be in you know knight armor or samurai armor or superhero costumes or whatever uh but yeah that game is good you played stick of truth right yeah and i watched the entire show so far and you haven't gotten around to playing fractured but whole no you're probably just waiting for it to be another patreon series aren't you no i'm just waiting for time fair enough like it is good. It's it's completely unmanageable. Like there are just too many video games, and you can't, you just can't play them no. all, unless you completely explode your schedule or you just throw half of them away after the first session or something. Like there's like five games a week. Like what do you do at some point? I've raised my standards. Uh, kind of on the topic of that, um, the Holy Potatoes people put out their second game of the year, and it's kind of oh, obviously God. a drop in quality from the past two and like it was fun it was kind and of I like quick serve delicious but fun the first time either i liked the first one and the second one was kind of like ftl light which was enjoyable enough uh but this third one is like quick serve delicious but you can pause whenever you want and like flip through menus really easily um so it wasn't bad it was just not as compelling and i I did like three episodes, uh, three episodes on it, and then just stopped. And I'm like, I feel bad about this, but I've got a lot of other games that like I kind of want to play. Unfortunately, uh, the most commonly requested games on my channel right now, as far as like <laughs> not quality goes, is freaking Gold Rush. People are like, Do you have any plans on playing Gold Rush? And I'm like, What? It, <laughs> yeah. What? Also, doesn't it have terrible reviews? And it does. I it's have to look effectively up what this game even is. Gold yeah, Rush the so, game. Yeah, Why is that I the think game it's based, in its title. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's based off of a uh one of those like stupid uh Discovery Channel um oh like is it reality based on a TV docu- a reality TV show. Yeah, that, where, that like, makes the game make sense at least. I'm like Gold you don't need to capitalize the concept of the phrase Gold Rush. But I I think it's the classic example of like shitty YouTube bait that people really like. Uh. And I'm I'm not opposed to people playing those games or even them getting popular, uh, but it's just really confusing when people are like, hey, when are you going to play Gold Rush? And I'm like, 
Yeah, a game that no one should care about. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's like asking me, when are you going to play uh, Honey Boo Boo the game? It's like, n- no. Or, um, what's the other good? Well, it's like, the- these, these things are only funny if you're going to make a video just making fun of the very concept that it even is a video game. Because, like, it is, it's like Farming Simulator and Desert Bus, where it's like, there's... There doesn't appear to be anything actually interesting to do, so you just, well, like, make an ironic video joking about it, I guess. And that's what some people do on their channels, I guess. Yeah. But some people just get into it. Wow. The other one... Like, yeah. It, re- it really just shows has clips of, like, a cat. Like, like I mean, the machine. Yeah. And, uh, gold panning. Yeah. And... It's twenty dollars. Yep. <laughs> With a thirty dollar like collector's edition. Have have raised my standards a little bit. So now I just play kind of double boy, A games oh if I can manage it. But oh, yeah, like within see. like a week of each other, we had like was it like almost back to back there's like Elex and South Park and Evil Within and Shadow of War and Mario Odyssey and it's like it's yep. It's a nightmare, and that's just like the and that's that's just the like the non indie ones, not counting yeah. all the other stuff that's piling on. Yeah, the like easy part is like has a my inbox usually has like a seventy email backlog that I'm slowly chipping away at because I've, it keeps growing faster than I can get through it, and I'm just like, what? Why are these indie games coming out during the holiday season? Like they know what they're competing with, right? Like they're gonna, <laughs> it's like peak it, time for being lost in the signal noise. Yeah. Some of them make sense, some of them not so much so. Um, I know Warframe had its like big update effectively two weeks before Destiny 2 comes out, and I don't think that was a good idea. Might have been. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I've just, I don't know. I, I guess I've just raised my standards of like what games are worth covering at this point. Uh, for Shadow of War, you mentioned, I loaded it up. I started playing it and almost immediately. I was getting about 28 frames a second for some reason. And I'm like, well, I don't care enough about this game to suffer through this or like turn it on really low graphics. Did the same thing with uh, Total War Warhammer 2. It's just like this game's not optimized for me. I guess that goes out the window and I, I have more free time to do other things. That was the chopping block hour where you're like, Vaporum, goodbye. Total War, Total War, goodbye. <laughs> there was like, yeah. one of these games is going to please me and the rest yeah. will die. <laughs> well, Vaporum was like, I had no health left and no health packs. And I was just like, this might be winnable, but it just doesn't seem worth it for me. And I'm not really having fun anymore. Because um, it just made me want to go back and actually play through Grimrock 2. And then Total War Warhammer is like minimum graphics, minimum resolution, still 20 FPS. Yeah, let's let's pass that. Luckily, there's enough good games out there that I don't need to worry about it too much. I kind of on that. Uh, did I did I ever complain to you about the reaction to Dungeons 2 on my channel? Or did I even Dungeons, mention it to you? Was it Dungeons 3? Yeah, so Dungeons Three just came out. I covered Dungeons Two. Uh, I, I, I know, I know, there must have been something because literally, I went to an unrelated video on your channel, and in the comments, there was you were you were ta- you were saying something about that game in that video, and the comments were like, "All I know is that he, I, his opinions are relevant because he doesn't like Dungeons Dungeons Three. And I'm like, "This is, I guess, someone hit a nerve." <laughs> yeah. So I didn't like uh, Dungeons Two at all. Uh, it had one of those kind of like narrators 
that also is like kind of telling you what to do the entire time. But it's like, uh, how do, how do I ex- uh, describe it? Um, and I know, we start, I know we started off last episode talking about like how Dungeon Three is Dungeons Three is all about memes and stuff. Yeah, it's about memes. Um, Dungeons Two is much the same way, but like, uh, so the difference between the two games is Dungeons Three has the tutorial as a separate entity that you play on your own, um, not part of the campaign. Dungeons Two had the tutorial be the first couple missions, and so if you didn't build X fast enough, the narrator would be like, "Why haven't you built this yet?" couple minutes later, why haven't you built this yet? Uh, obviously with more flowery language, but effectively that was that for like the first four or five episodes and I just get like super mad at it. And I, I'm trying to find it. Oh, wait, no, how I, long I know was how to the look tutorial. For uh, multiple, I mean, so it's one of those like RTS things where the tutorial is kind of drawn out over multiple missions. Um, to what are you? Okay. Uh, it's drawn out over multiple missions to uh, to kind of slowly ease you in while still feeling like a campaign mode. Like, you played StarCraft on your channel. You know how kind of the first couple missions? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, it kind of drawn out. I remember. I don't remember StarCraft 3 really having necessarily tutorials so much as like it really simple but... early missions. Yeah, so what it would do is uh, kind of do that thing, but with person actually telling you what to do. You know, simple, easy missions, but uh, if you're not if you're not going fast enough, they yell at you for it. And I was trying to commentate over this narrator that keeps yelling at me, being like, play the game faster. You know, kind of the YouTube comments, but in your ear. Uh, and I get really pissed at it. And I wasn't very good at it. I'd never played a Dungeon Keeper game before. Um, And so I eventually threw, well, stopped that series. Okay, yeah, here we go. Uh, I guess my uh, first episode didn't have as many dislikes as I thought it did, but I effectively had 68 comments of just, like, pure uh, abuse for not being good enough at the game, to the point where I eventually turned off comments entirely. Did they all disappear, or are they still there? No, it looks like they're all gone. Um, But so I've started covering Dungeons 3, and uh, the turnaround is just uh, kind of silly how much, like, people kind of forget about it, like... I actually noticed a couple of commentators between Dungeons 2 that came back for Dungeons 3, and they were just, like, super mad at me in the previous one. And I don't think they've realized they watched the set the same person for the Dungeons 3 episode because they were completely nice and, like, super helpful. And I was just like, you people don't remember. And this feels good because... <laughs> you don't remember the things you said to me. Yes. But it I is, remember. It is funny watching people complete Like, it's funny where, like... When somebody comments on your channel, you can go into what we have as a special comments dashboard that's kind of like a Facebook wall of chronological comments across our entire channel. And one of the features is we can type somebody's username in and to try to search that. And so it's kind of funny when you look up someone's history of like right now they seem to be a fan. But like you go back to their original comments and they're like insulting you and saying the worst things. And then they... There's like often like a time jump where they like didn't le- they left but then they came back because they found you independently a second time and don't remember is that you're this that you're the, the, the you're the same person they were saying those things to before. Sorry, I'm mildly distracted. Shell snuck up on camera to hand me a piece of uh, smoked salmon, so I'm currently chewing through that. <laughs> yeah. Um... God, what was I thinking of? I completely lost myself a little bit. I uh, I think the one time I 
disabled comments was actually part one of our Black Desert series. Oh, right. I you get I get tired eventually. I like, got. Uh, it was like people were judging our friendship and that was the entirety of every comment across the entire thing, which is weird because it's, like, it's not even a video where we fought or anything. It's literally like, yeah. we, if you ever interrupt each other ever, that means that you're a monster and you shouldn't be allowed to, to talk to humans ever again, apparently. it's The, the things that people get offense, offended on are bizarre sometimes. To the I, point where I think there's just like a pile-on effect where it's like the first comments happen and the first dislikes happen and then people just see the dislikes and look for the reason people are mad in the comments and then just add to the noise. Yeah, because... it's when when you see that dislike bar, you know that there's something to dislike and it's acceptable to do so. Yeah. And so... Because like I had a video where there was an editing mistake, but no one really cared about the editing mistake, but I did. But people were mad about something else and there was tons of dislikes on the video. But when I fixed the editing mistake then none of the dislikes came back <laughs> and yeah. it became a unanimously positive video. But like the dislike, but the actual, I don't think the dislikes were for the editing mistake because it wasn't like an egregious thing. It was just, I forgot to edit out a moment of like, there's literally like a 30 second thing where we get interrupted because the doorbell rings. And I was like, Oh, well let's not leave that in. But people were mad because they just pile on periodically because it was our nine 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 series and they were mad at us all the time. <sighs> But well, they were especially mad in that one where, like, the majority, like, the majority of feedback was dislikes. And I'm like, I've never seen that before in this entire series or really in most places on my channel. And uh, then I go back and I, I edit the one 30-second 30 30 mistake, which is never the reason for dislikes like that in the first place. I've never seen that be the reason on anyone's channel for, that, for dislikes like that. It's always because they're mad about something. And... The second time around, that video uploaded only hours later the same day just didn't get the same pylon effect. So it had like no particular spike of dislikes or negative comments or anything. And it's like it's 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 informative to see that some negative feedback can become the basis for the rest of the negative feedback at some point. Kind of like how when you go in a you can often go to a YouTube comment section and find that all of the comments are about the same thing. So I can I can see why some channels think about things like there's context in which like sometimes you might negative you might want to take out uh take out comments altogether on certain videos sometimes just because like it affects people's entire reaction to those videos sometimes in a way that it wouldn't if the comments weren't there where they can just yeah. have their own free thought response to the thing and not be influenced by this weird herd mentality that humans have to just sort of reflect each other's opinions. Actually, uh, let's see, who was it? I think it was Total Biscuit had turned off his comments a long time ago and actually switched over to uh, Reddit as his like main means of having people commentate on his videos. Yeah, Total with, like, Biscuit and Aaron Signal and a few other people do that. Just because like, the self... It like self-moderates with the likes and dislikes just yeah. concept. So kind of those those types of communities just filter better. Like they self filter better than YouTube's uh, totally open section tends to do. Yeah, I I wish that there was a way to have like proper moderatorship as part of a, a channel. And I know um some of my mods from my YouTube streams have mentioned that they delete comments occasionally if they look particularly asinine. And I do you, I don't know. Can, I was can your stream jealous? moderators actually affect? The comment yeah. section of oh, videos. Yeah. yeah, if one of them wanted to go power mad, they could wipe out the comment section for an entire <laughs> video. Um, not that I mean, it would like really matter; like it wouldn't hurt me too much. Did not, did not notice that functionality existed. 
Yeah, it's uh it's a thing, but like there's no like really real easy community to pull from like streams and stuff. Like usually for my streams I moderate I I mod people that you know have been around for a while, seem level-headed so on and so forth. With YouTube comments, you've got like a couple of people that you kind of can, but you're not there's never really that like proper communication, so the only thing it would work would be like people to come to your Discord first and even then like it doesn't oh, seem yeah, like I- there's that much incentive. Either I, I've never rooped. I've I've pretty much never moderated anyone in the community just because I'm like I. It's so hard to know any of them on any yeah. real level because there's so many people to interact with that it's like I don't like. They're all here for my videos presumably, but that's like the only thing I can know for sure. Like oh he seemed nice for the couple of days and that's like surprise he's a Nazi, <laughs> you didn't yes. know because you never met him before and you because like you try it's like online dating but for moderators <laughs> i've i've mostly gotten lucky i i made one wrong pick for a, a moderator and even he had like kind of said are you sure about this <laughs> uh and then you know a and couple nights later past that warning <laughs> well uh it, it was kind of one of those where it was like it was late at night and people were it was uh there was somebody that was specifically being like uh oh right i was getting inundated with porn bots and i got really sick of it and so it's like, you can delete comments. Like, I, I trust you enough to get rid of porn bots. That can't be too hard, right? Um, <laughs> and he did, but then a couple other, uh, another night he started adding commands that were just stupid and effectively would just say banana every 30 seconds, uh, using like the, the programmable bot. And I was like, okay, this got dumb. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Yeah, there's always a. Uh... There's always people that'll freak out about like freedom of speech and concepts like that, and <sighs> even though this is like doesn't apply in this context because we're talking about what's essentially like someone's social media profile. Uh, yeah, and they don't understand how much filtering is necessary to make normal comment sections even exist because like a- the sheer number of bots and then also just asshole humans that are like I'm literally just going to spam chat and ruin it because <laughs> that's those I'd are both a- things that exist. I had a literal neo-Nazi show up to one of my uh, to my Discord channel for a little while, uh, and he was more or less going after everybody for anything he possibly could, and saying that he had the right to he had the right to say all this shit. And I was just like, no, bye. And then uh, I've noticed he he still leaves comments on all of my videos. Uh, yeah, and I was just like, huh. His his comments on YouTube are totally fine. It's just the moment just he was given a Twitch, pri- he just triggers all of a sudden. Well, Discord. <laughs> On Discord, Discord, he just triggered what? when it went berserk. It was very confusing. It's like you think people would judge you more for this, because huh. like YouTube, you're kind of expected to be shitty and stupid. That's bizarre. Yeah. Yeah, I was confused. There's there's a few reoccurring things too. Like there's a there's of course the like wow great link like weird comment bots that are like trying yeah. to get you to go to some sort of weird I don't know porn 18 plus then there's a there's Bitly. a recent there's a recent trend where there's uh it'll be a picture of some woman that looks like stock photo or something and she'll always be like I made a video about you and she'll yeah. it's always the same comment but it's like hundreds of profiles and then there's a there's a reoccurring one where every they'll just if you if you have the wrong tag somewhere in your video that attract this kind of bot or something, you just you get religious bots eventually. They're trying to quote yes. they're trying to quote like scripture at you to save you or something. And I'm like, I don't I don't know why this is happening. Why are you why are you doing this? Go away. At first I thought it was just a very 
dedicated person the first time but the 10th time it became pretty clear that these are all bots and there's just tons of them and i don't like it's the it's interesting i guess i knew a youtuber decided to make bots for i knew a youtuber back when i was much smaller who um who had a scripture thing in his like channel about because he's a religious dude and whatever i'm not going to judge him too much for that but he actually had to remove it because apparently having scripture in your own channel description brings more religious bots because they will try and proselytize, I guess, their own version or something. Um, and so he had to remove it because almost all the spam he was getting was religious in origin and it was getting to be a problem. I wonder if that happens uh, to Destin from Smarter, Smarter Every Day because I think he usually has scripture or like the little like number colon no, no, number notification or notation thing like in his videos yeah, maybe he just kind of slips it in there like in and out where they just like the bottoms of their bags or whatever have like scripture quotes on them i don't know which I, surprised I, me I'd when i saw it to, i'd love to be able to talk to some youtubers about these things someday just be like yo hi what are what are the weird problems that you have to deal with as a channel? Like the weird shit. Don't don't talk to me about like being demonetized because that's boring. I want to know about like yeah, the thing what that everyone bots talks you about. get. Yeah, because like everybody talks about the piss piss money symbol, and to be fair, that thing's kind of bizarro. I do you have to deal with that much actually? Let, let, I you mean I don't getting, know. I actually have questions. Getting about. the yellow dollar sign. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't get it that much. I get it a lot on like Warframe because gun noises, whatever, kind of makes sense there. Um, I get it seemingly at random. Yeah, that's kind of what happened to me. I got it on every South Park video, and then with and I was just like, well, whatever. It's South Park. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna request they take it off because, I mean, there's a man's balls in this in this uh, <laughs> video. Like, there's no way that this is advertiser safe. I totally understand there. And then it goes green. And they never let go of yep. my golf store videos for some reason. Sometimes it changes, and sometimes it, yes, it goes from green to yellow or yellow to green, or sometimes oscillates between it strangely. But then, like, a game will randomly have, like, one episode that's the naughty episode sometimes, and sometimes all of them are naughty except for, like, two of them. And I'm like, what were the, what's different about those ones? Yeah. I don't understand. But I'm just really confused whenever it's just like, this South Park video is A-OK, -okay, and it's like, the underpants gnome episode and i'm like i have questions yeah i have many questions ultimately it's just it's not it's not a change in our lives because no. it was already happening before they told us yeah because the system existed Hardly for years me. and then one day they just decided to tell us about it so people are all looking for like changes in their analytics about like whether or not their income has dropped when the yellow dollar sign nope. showed up but no one's My money is because... the exact same yeah, no one's changed because no change happened that day. They just told us about the thing that had been there for years in the background that had no thing on our side. So it was weird. Like, YouTube is so bad at PR and so bad at, like, explaining themselves and connecting with the audience and explaining to creators what's going on on, the, on their website all the time that they did a good thing that that everyone thought was a bad thing. Yeah. Because they were so bad at communicating. Because they because the bad thing already existed and we just didn't know about it, and the good thing was that that was the day they they added an appeal process because they they told yes. they they let us see which stuff was not advertiser friendly to absolutely everyone because they were adding the option for us to appeal then and, and potentially restore the the uh, monetization of that video. So like 
it's a net positive in every way except perception but it was also that because also like they're like it was a, it was perceived as a negative thing because they handle messaging so poorly and they and oh, yeah. because they had not told us until then about the bad thing that had been there all the time i firmly believe that like they would actually be better suited uh just making a private discord or something for like youtubers and actually just being kind of honest about it cuz yeah i have yet to see a decision on youtube's part that yeah, okay, they're almost always questionable because they never tell anybody anything. But, like, I feel like just having somebody on hand hanging out in these communities be like, yeah, you're wrong, this is it, and, you know, to tell us these things. Because I think the problem is they never address the, uh, they never address the, the echo chamber that everybody is in. And instead they do the, uh, did you see the, uh, the current CEO of YouTube's, like, video where, where she had, like, Markiplier and a bunch of other people, like, talk about their channels? Or do you not know what I'm talking about? I don't usually watch those kinds of videos. It's, I don't either, so but many. <laughs> people were talking about it, so I I was curious to see what was um what was it. And effectively she was talking about like, you know, I'm here to help you, but she wasn't in the video. Uh it just like was her in the thumbnail. And I think maybe she was there for like twenty seconds at the very beginning. Um and it was very confusing and everybody's really angry about it because it feel like it felt wildly out of touch. I feel like they should maybe just hire, like, who would be a good person to, I don't know, Ethan. I mean, out of touch is the only thing they managed to be in most yeah. contexts. I feel like they should just hire Ethan Klein as their PR person. <laughs> That'd work. Probably wouldn't, but it'd uh, work that better. would raise new issues. <laughs> it would raise new issues, absolutely. I don't know. I'd, I, <laughs> it's just weird how, like, YouTube is this site with all this, like, personality on it. And they don't actually tap any of it apart from, like, just shitty promo videos. It's like, or a really awkward YouTube rewind video every year. Yeah. Yeah. Also yeah. known as the part of the year where everyone, all the big YouTubers learn how much YouTube values them as a, as a channel. Because they specifically only, they, they only invite all the big channels they like and ignore a bunch of the other large channels they don't like. And it's like really yep. obvious which ones are specifically snubbed. And I don't agree, I don't necessarily disagree with them a lot of the time. But oh, yeah. it's funny that there's like, because there's obviously like a dark side of YouTube, like really just distressing, well, like distress. No, I mean like the channels that are like successful oh. and like it's distressing that they're so successful because they represent like a darkness and YouTube yes. very specifically avoids those channels when it's time to celebrate the last year of YouTube, even though they generate a huge chunk of their revenue. Probably it's a weird, it's all, it's a giant spider web of weird. Yes. Interestingly, uh, was it, uh, Andrew had his encounter with fury Oh, at long last. And he seems to have essentially just like pierced through the entire game via sheer hate. <laughs> yeah, I saw his uh, comments on your discord on it. And I was like, like this. He, I, I think he, he beat the game in one day. <laughs> yeah, he. Well, I mean, it's not particularly long, so I can totally understand how and why. That's yeah, also the kind of game that you beat all those fights. Yeah, it also is absolutely the kind of game that you should generally beat in one day just because of momentum. Like, I was having that problem with... What game was it? Oh, I was having that problem with uh, The End is Nigh, the Super Meat Boy a kind of not follow-up made by maybe the same guys and kind of in the same vein. And I was having that problem where 
I would do my episode for the day and then have to go do other things. And I'd come back already kind of rusty just because it's such a like reflex based, like focus intensive thing. And by going away and then coming back, I more or less screwed myself. So playing Fury in one day actually seems like the smart thing to do if you can manage the uh, willpower for it. It's he's got this thing where it's funny where he'll uh he's very quick to to of course blame the game for every uh for any problems he has it's always the game's fault and not his but simultaneously he is like shockingly good at a lot of games sometimes so like he'll be like playing Cuphead and Fury and like just like devastating the game at times while also like not taking the blame for any mistakes he ever makes. So it's like he's like saying the dumbest shit while playing shockingly well sometimes. And I'm like, how are you, how are you doing this? Because like he'll like one or two, he'll like beat Fury bosses in like one or two attempts. And, you know, and I'm like, how did you adapt that fast? It's like it, I, I sometimes think his brain works like uh, the Starship Enterprise, like the various like sci fi ships where like you divert power from certain parts to other parts. <laughs> Like, this is the thing we need to focus on, so the other things are going to get, just get shittier by comparison. So he, like, so he transfers like, all of his power to pure gameplay, <laughs> and he ceases to be like, able to make sentences. <laughs> he's playing, like, uh, hardest boss on Cup Cuphead, and his kidneys shut down. <laughs> Cuphead is brutal, by the way. Uh, yeah. We talked about I'm it before, very, but goddamn. I'm very glad I did not do a series on it. It does not look like it would be fun for me. I'm just... I'm right now. I'm just encouraged that we, it might be downhill from here on out because we beat uh, we beat the dragon and it took like two hours, but it Ugh. seems like the dragon might be one of those things that is like the tipping point for the game and it might be downhill from here. And I'm like, oh, thank God! Like like Donkey put out a video today that was like he joked that the game took 13 hours and seven of them were on the dragon and four of them were on the bee. And I'm like, oh God, we beat both of them last time. Is this such a good? This that's that's the best news I've heard all week. Is Donkey's take sign. on what the hard bosses are? So I'm like, is is, there, is it going to be easier now? Because I was, like, I was like, we beat our first, we beat the first world on our first night, and we like struggled like a couple of times, but it was generally fine. And I'm like, okay, so there's a four world game. We we'll beat it over the course of four sessions, and that'll be fine. And then second session, we beat the entirety of world two except the dragon, which we saved for last just by happenstance, and it was destroying us. But then our third session was mostly the dragon again, and then only a couple bosses of World 3, and I'm like, we're not making near, near the progress I was hoping for. And I'm like, when is... It's 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 hard to pace it, because it's like a, I, I meet up with him weekly to play games, and I'm like, I don't know when to start airing the show, because I don't know when to air it if I want to not have breaks in the middle of it, which is what I prioritize. But that game is... It's been stomping us consistently. Yeah. Also very look- buggy. Yeah, it just didn't look fun. I I've heard about the bugs. I've actually heard a bunch of people are copy like copywriting it when they shouldn't be, and so that's been a huge issue for a lot of folks. What like on YouTube? Yeah. Oh yeah. I assume you've had no such problems. No, I'm, I haven't heard about that. It's actually uh, I I don't really spend much time on the Let's Play subreddit, but actually I can't know most... if I have that. I haven't uploaded any cu- of Cuphead. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Uh, the most common thing that I've seen. Uh, on there, apart from like how to grow my channel, is Cuphead got uh, got a copyright ID match or a copyright strike even? Uh, and I was just like, oh, that sounds peachy. That's severe, like channel penalizing nightmares. I think in a lot of cases, it's uh, 
So you know how there are those channels that do like remixes based on like the songs or like even raps and they'll be like Cuphead rap and then put it into the content ID. But, you know, they're using part of the Cuphead soundtrack or something. I think that might have been what happened. I could be wrong, Um, but it has apparently been a fairly all consuming problem that doesn't last very long, but uh, like an actually consistent issue. And I'm like, okay, glad I didn't have to deal with that. (laughs) I haven't yeah. heard anything about that from Andrew, who has been uploading it, but I don't. I don't know. That that sucks. <laughs> but also, yeah. I wish this game worked better for a game that they supposedly spent so much time on. It's oh, they spent all the time issues. on the animations because they had a very small team to do like some pretty impressive work. For us, the most baffling Visually. thing that keeps coming up is just that, like, when you get hit, when you take any kind of damage, the controller will vibrate, and Ooh, sometimes oh, the right, vibration right, right. will just continue forever. And we're confused by this because, like, it's it's happened in every Let's Play I've ever watched. Like, whenever I whenever I peek at anybody playing the beginning of the game, they always almost immediately encounter the the, the uh, vibration glitch. And we have the vibration glitch constantly. Like, Andrew has it during every single boss fight, which is just really helping his opinion of the game, by the way. Uh, and I'm so confused by how this keeps ha- how it's so widespread and wasn't caught because clearly it's happening to everyone, seemingly. And there- like even if developers are surprisingly like um resilient to weird bugs that like you just get used to and you forget that they exist yeah what what's just weird to me about it is that like addressing this bug is one of it has to be one of the easiest bugs to address ever cuz i'm not even talking about fixing the bug itself but just like make the, it so you can turn yeah, off exactly. vibration the first response to this bug if you can't immediately find out how to fix the bug itself is like because surely it would have been been encountered at some point before the game actually launched too. Like just add a just add a toggle vibration option to the game, but there isn't one for some reason, which is the weirdest exclusion, generally. Let alone in a game that has like a very specific vibration bug that's like so widespread that every player has it. The other thing is just that it just sometimes freezes mid fight, which is the most frustrating thing when you're back when you're like trying to win and it, like it feels like the game's against you all the time, and then finally. Like, you might be in the middle of a good run, and then the game, you, just suddenly it freezes. And, like, it, it's and it's a weird freeze bug, too, because, like, it's a, it's like the simulation of the game stopped. Like, it didn't hard lock. The game does not hard lock. We've never seen that happen yet, where, like, the game, where it's, like, not responding. It's that the inside of the game, the actual part where all of the animation frames move and a fight happens and time proceeds, that part stops... But the but the program is still responsive, and that you can tell that it's not it hasn't like completely frozen and locked up and become an unresponsive program, because you can still see the uh, the uh, the film grain is still happening. Hmm. Like the so like the filter over the screen is still live and still happening over a still frame screenshot. Basically, is what the game has become. So you hear music and you're watching the film grain. But the game just has stopped proceeding, and there's no way to get it out of that. With besides rebooting the game, so like that, that's been a reoccurring problem. That's like not a great feeling to have when you're playing a frustrating game. Is to have the game just freeze sometimes midway through, just to add to the list of reasons why you have to start fights over. Is that the game will sometimes stop being a game? I had that, I had that happen a lot in Hollow Knight, uh, for at least like the last couple days of that series was. Uh, they introduced a bug by accident, I guess, that made it so uh, it would freeze mid. Um, it would it would freeze whenever you got hit, and that was just like kind of a death sentence all the time. I didn't enjoy that. 
Would it freeze every time you got hit? Yeah. Whoa. Or hit an enemy. Yeah, it was bad. Wait, so then the game just doesn't work. <laughs> well, like, it would freeze for like five seconds, and then that's still like kind of let you go again. That's still yeah. devastating. It was devastating. So I've actually I'm sitting at 99 percent for the game because effectively it took them so long to patch it that by the time I came back to it. The last thing that I had to do was the hardest part of the game. Oh. There was no way I was going to be able to do it with like a fair amount, without a fair amount of grief, and I was just like, "All right, whatever." I that's, uh, that's always been one of the things that gives me pause for like doing the DLC for Fury is like another boss of Fury. Great, it's probably like up like middle to upper tier difficulty if you're going to make a whole DLC boss for a, a game about boss fights. Uh, or if not being the hardest boss in the game in many cases so so like i'm like i have to essentially replay the game off camera just to get like prepped and in the headspace again to be able to play the game well enough to do a dlc boss and that's like it's yep. so it's uh, it's there's so many easier candidates to play sometimes and you've i don't know if you've seen my spreadsheet but it's it's always, awful always I've growing it. faster than it shrinks <laughs> unbeatable oh yeah on the opposite spectrum, though, of difficulty, I've been playing uh, Infra. Have you heard of that? I think I saw... Wait, that's the that's the kind of walking simulator sort of puzzle game, right? Kind of, yeah. It's weird, is is what it is. So it, it kept coming up in puzzle game discussions all the time, and I was like, what is this game? And it, it was kind of on my to-do list. But it was either... I don't know if it was explicitly early access, or it was framed as DLC or what at the time, but... Uh, it wasn't done for the longest time. It was going to come out in thirds. Uh, they, I've recently done more research about it to find out exactly what the breakdown was. And what, what it was is that part one of the game was chapters one through five. Then they had a two-chapter part three, uh, pa- part two. And then part three was three chapters. So it totals out to ten chapters with the with by chapter count at the very least the first cha- the first part being half the game. But who knows if they're who knows if they get progressively longer or not from per chapter. But it's a it's a game where you play as the most uh, comically apathetic uh, safety inspector man ever, essentially. Because <laughs> okay, because <laughs> the you, the game starts off with like you and your friends, not your friends, your coworkers are having like a meeting at your boring ass office where you talk about infrastructure and everyone's having a boring meeting with a boring slideshow and it's genuinely boring like not even played for laughs boring but like the, it's actually boring in the video game too uh and then you go off to go like you the, essentially the the uh, four people in the room split off into three groups so there's one group of two and then there's you and the other person and you all split off to go inspect these various parts of old infrastructure of the city that are I think it's part of like a revitalization prog- uh, uh, program that's like in the modern day of like all these all these facilities that went uh, went under in the 80s or something like that. And you start off just inspecting this dam. And what you can actually do is you can kind of like get the dam working again and even reconnect it to the power grid. And it's just like a really, really straightforward area of like nonlinear environments and almost like Metroidvania stuff going on where you're like picking up you're finding like obscure keys and items that you can use to sort of unlock more parts of the area non-linearly. And it's interestingly optional. Like you could spend like an hour carefully examining the dam and finding how to get it all running again and even reconnecting to the power grid and, and triggering conversations about the fact that you did that. Or you could just like take photos of the damaged stuff and leave and, and, hmm. and just keep going, interestingly. 
uh, your your only real job as the player, like the reason why your character is there, is to just assess the damage of these locations and document it so that actual work can happen later. So you just you have a camera and a flashlight, and you're just going around taking photos of damage. And you can't just passively walking simulator through the whole game and just take photos because you have to often solve puzzles to even proceed forward because of the damage and stuff like that. But on but there's like a density of optional puzzles that you often you could easily not know even exist in the game unless you specifically look for them to get various facilities up and running or find alternate paths. And when you find these alternate paths through areas, you can find like documents that are outlining a conspiracy that was the real reason that all these things went under in the 80s. And you, then you start getting this whole B plot that explains why all these places are run on, uh, run over, or, I mean, done under or uh, whatever you want to call it. And uh, there's even like eventually like within the first episode basically if you go in the right building you can encounter a dead body in a bag and you're like the what like immediately things are escalating in the weirdest ways and completely optional ways and it's it's just been the most bizarre experience but i say apathetic because my protagonist guy is so like chill and game for everything like he's just he doesn't question whether he's going to keep going there's none of those like like there's always like when you play like uh outlast or soma or something like your character questions whether he should even go on and stuff like that or like people sometimes have more natural responses to negative things or dangerous things this dude should be like 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 i've 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 been hired by a company that would send you out for field work and stuff like that before and like you get interviewed in the process about all this about how you're supposed to handle dangerous situations and like how you should never put yourself at risk at all because obviously company is liable but also like you're in danger of getting hurt for something that you really shouldn't get hurt for and stuff like that. But this dude throws all those regulations right out the window and starts doing the most reckless shit throughout the game, like just turning things on without knowing if they'll explode or not, or like hopping in a, on a raft in a in like an underwater cave and not knowing where it's going to go. And like you could easily just drown or get trapped forever in this place where you can't contact anyone. And like every chapter, I'm like, dude, what are you doing, protagonist man? You are going deeper and deeper down this hole of like places you could die. Like you, there's point, like the game has points of no returns in it that like stop you from like going. Uh, there's point of no returns in it that stop you from going backwards at various times. But those point of no returns could easily be a death sentence because it's like, oh wow, that a uh, metal bulkhead just sealed shut behind me, and I don't know if there's another exit. And like you, you'd almost expect your character to be freaking out, and he just never. He never cares. He's so chill about his like apparent impending doom all the time. I mean, that's kind of refreshing, sort of. It's so I'd almost weird. rather have that than like <laughs> half the protagonists I deal with in games that I play. What's funny is that like the protagonist and the game don't acknowledge the danger the protagonist is in half the time. Like it's almost like no, it didn't occur to anyone how terrible these ideas are throughout the game. Because like he might as well be dead every other episode for all he knows because he doesn't know if there's another exit after another yet another thing seals shut behind him he only really remarks if like you get into one of the genuine danger spots where it's like you get trapped in a room and the ceiling's collapsing and you have to figure out how to get a door open before you die like genuine moments like that are the only moments he has a moment of like exclamation but like there's a much darker ongoing dread in the background that the game never touches on that i keep that I've been having fun commenting on in the series, at least. And uh, true to form for these first-person 
non-linear storytelling games where you go through a fallen thing uh, that was once in its prime, but you're going through it long afterwards, uh, the first code you type in as a password is 0451. <laughs> That's a... Uh... Is that a reference to, like, Deus Ex or something? So Spyglass Games used to use 0451 as a code in all of their games, and so ever, ever since then, anyone who makes, like, a game like Deus Ex or uh, System Shock or Thief or this game and stuff so, and stuff like that often put 0451 in their game as a code at some point. And doesn't doesn't always fully work. Like, even uh, Firewatch did it, and I wasn't sure if that even made sense, but one of the lockers was opened by 0451. But a lot of it, people were telling me 0451 for Prey, and I was actually kind of disappointed that they hadn't done that. No, the I don't first, think they ever used that. No, 0451 was the password to your office. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah, at the very I must beginning have blanked of the game. over that then. Yeah, it was used at the very beginning oh, of the game. Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. Sorry, I, I, was, I was thinking it was to that safe, because um, the thing is, I, was, I played the Prey demo on the PS4 like beforehand, before you could even... Well, before people had even like really reached the office, because I played it on quote unquote the first night yeah and everybody was like oh four five one on the safe like it's got to be it and like super <laughs> vehement about it i'm like no yeah that and that's game, why i got confused that game's really heavy on nods to spyglass because not only is it uh blatantly trying to in many ways be a system shock type type game but it uh on top of that like their entire like weird hologram glass vr technology or ar technology is literally called spyglass technology yeah so by the time you get once you once you're already well, swallowing glass. those kinds, uh, was it Looking Glass? Right, it's yeah, Looking it was Glass. Looking Glass. Looking Glass is the name of the company too. Uh, Spy Glass is literally me saying the wrong thing. Uh, so like them calling uh, Looking Glass Studio, uh, them calling uh, their entire AR thing Looking Glass was already a big of enough like warning sign. So then by then people are already looking for the O four five one to show up at some point. But like the ongoing trend that you see in System Shock and Bioshock and Prey and even Infra when like the games that often evoke 0451 is often that you're going through the ruins of some sort of societal location that's abandoned or downtrodden or destroyed in some way and you piece the entire story via these like optional like notes and audio logs while you navigate through this uh decrepit area and, and towards your main objective. And it's like it's a it's such a very specific thing that like you yeah well that's part that's part of the reason why I like like Dark Souls and Bloodborne too because it's this ruined city yeah every time but like it's such a specific aesthetic for first person game storytelling that like you can go a surprisingly long time without really piecing it together that that's such a trope but then the moment someone points it out to you you're like oh right. That's an exact type of game people just keep making <laughs> is games yeah. that, to the point where now walking simulators are literally like people that are they're They're very, very often companies that just decided to do that minus the part where you shoot people basically is to go on to the entire same aesthetic, but just to focus entirely on the story part. And that's how you get like Edith Finch and stuff like that. Dear Esther. Kind of. I, I just I still haven't experienced yet. Dear Esther. I don't know uh, if I ever will. I heard that you just walk around the narrations just play on their own or something. They do. Uh, there are logs and journals that you can read, though. I... Do you know how Dear Esther is supposed to go? What do you mean? Um, Like, the plot of it? Or, no, not really. I don't know anything about it. Okay, so I probably won't bring it up. Because 
it does some interesting things and then and then stops i i I would put it in the exact same category as rhyme like start to finish there's there's stuff there but it never follows through on them yeah rhyme because yeah we talked about rhyme where like it was weirdly like it it tried to have mechanics but didn't follow through with any of them enough to really go anywhere so it was kind of like a really passive experience but then it was way too long to be a purely passive experience more like journey so it was like a weird yeah. midpoint of like oddly boring for what yeah, it was trying that to is do exactly that is exactly where dear esther sits though obviously it's way less pretty because it was a source mod Because, God forbid, anybody make custom assets for a source mod and make them look nice. Apparently, I own Dear Esther. I, I, if, I you've, if you've ever bought Humble Bundles, chances are you got it from there. Yeah, Dear Esther Landmark Edition, I guess, is what they called. The one where they actually made stuff for it or something. Yeah, I never played originally, Dear Esther, but I played Everybody's Gone to the Rapture and Amnesia, a machine for pigs. I never played Everybody's Gone Gone for the Rapture. I actually uh, keep messing that game up with We Happy Few. Like, nonstop, I think they're the same game. And I have to stop myself because Which I know funny, they're not. Because there's, like, such a gap between them. Oh, absolutely. But they kind of... They were at PAX at the same time right next to each other when I was going through. And their marketing was similar because they weren't showing much. All The only real difference was they had the one Bobby wearing the weird, like, mask. Or maybe that was his face. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but otherwise, like their their like panel layout and whatever was about the same, and everybody was talking about about them at the same time, and it just it was weird, and it's always weird, and I probably will play neither. Well, everybody's gone to the rapture as the game that literally doesn't have people in it. Yeah, but that sets them apart pretty strongly. Oh yeah. Whereas uh. We Happy Few always gave me, like, this Bioshock vibe. Yeah, you couldn't figure out if it wanted to be Bioshock, though. Or, like, a weird open-world survival roguelike. Do you know what uh, Everybody's, Everybody's Gone to the Rapture is about? Not really. I Just everybody gets raptured, and then, like, you're there to, like, wander around and look at stuff. At least as far as I know. Yeah, there's essentially... You're just walking around this town... And as you're walking around, various, like, ghost-like... They essentially look like people that are made of fireflies will just show up, and they'll be talking, and they'll be interacting with each other. And you realize that those are the those are the members of the town, basically. And over time, it somewhat becomes clear. They're like, oh, these are, these are essentially, like, recordings. These are moments that these people had uh, when they were still around. And so you slowly piece together over the course of the game, like like what exactly happened like it's it's weird because it's like it's like a form of non it's a it's a form of non-linear storytelling because each region of the town has specific characters in it and so you uh when you each encounter characters it's usually like towards the beginning of their storyline and then when you start finding that character more you get closer and closer to the point where everyone actually disappeared and so like you're simultaneously seeing the individual dramas and storylines of characters within the city and then also the, you'll start uncovering the A plot eventually of like the what exactly was happening. You start finding the actual threads that are connected to the reason for what happened and the explanation of what happened. And it actually does have 
it does seem to have more or less proper answers as opposed to like just leaving it open for interpretation or something like that. But it it's a it's a strange one. <laughs> like you, it is the most walking simulatory sim, walking simulator I've ever seen because like in a game like Dear Esther, you like you're picking stuff up like Dear Esther and and uh, and uh, was it not Home Alone? Uh, Gone Home. Those are games where like you're sifting through objects and inspecting stuff yourself. But uh, to comp- to get like 100% completionism of everyone's gone to the rapture, as far as I can remember, you basically just walk up and down every street of the town and just trigger every single story cutscene. If you and you can or, or you can essentially unlock any percentage of them you want to, and then you just eventually find the ending, and that's the entire game. It's such a bizarre. It's like a universally passive experience in much the way that I assume I've always assumed as a result that uh, that uh, Dear Esther must have been. But they probably should stick with that kind of game, because when they tried to play make a game that had gameplay, it was terrible. <laughs> Amnesia yeah. Machine for Pigs was a Machine for Pigs was terrible. Like it was not the Amnesia sequel anyone hoped for, but it was also like it was a bad horror game and kind of unintelligible storyline, and it also like. Like we were, we went from being terrified of Amnesia to being like completely unfazed by a Machine for Pigs because while it has like three really good scenes that really creep you out about the pig monster, before long you get to like just walk around like essentially a zoo that's full of the monster. Like they get they get, they make the mistake of letting you just look at the monster like as long as you want to, and you can like walk around like in this like above the grading of this area and just and like just look down at where the monsters are roaming down there and seeing them interact with each other and just like kind of go about their day and you're like oh that's just what they are and then as a result they just become orcs essentially you're like oh they're they're just another creature thing they want to kill you but they're not that scary because like all the illusions lost about what they are and you've seen it's, it's like as if you just got to watch a xenomorph roam around in a zoo for like three hours like sure it's scary that it could kill you but it's like the fear you have of like a lion is not the same fear you have of like a weird nightmare monster in a horror game normally. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, the thing can kill you and that makes it threatening. And it would, yes, it would be scary in real life, but like conceptually like, oh yeah, there's a lion is not the it's the same fear you have of like, there's some kind of abomination in the shadows that wants you dead. <laughs> like they, they revealed it way too much and the game just became pointless. And it, and you can see why, it was made by Chinese room instead of frictional games because frictional was off making what was going to go on to become what many have cared, gone on to like care about way more than they ever cared about amnesia. Cause they made Soma, which was like tent pole game. <laughs> that was huge. I always wanted to get into Soma, but I'm also, I don't know. Horror games just have never appealed to me as much as maybe they now is the should. time. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this is Halloween. Yeah, I think I'd rather still play Last of Us though, because like <laughs> that seems more my alley. Like scary, yeah, but not also a gameplay. Game. Yeah, it's got kind of horror elements, but not nearly as much. It's like I don't know. The horror elements are like are like Dead Space light. Like there yeah. are a few moments in the game where something could potentially kill you like instantly and it will do so in a way that looks like it's brutal on the protagonist much like in dead space but generally it's mostly uh, like a walking dead style like survive in this post-apocalyptic scenario where 
oftentimes oftentimes man is your enemy but also of course so are the zombies it's just that in this particular world one of the versions of the zombies is really dangerous as opposed to just being regular zombies because there's like runner zombies but then there's like the actual like spore monster thing that is like the the big bad one the clickers and that's what leads to like the the stealth segments where you have to try to get through without getting caught because if that kind of thing gets alerted to you and finds you then you're just screwed that's the most horror part. But it, yeah, Last of Us is a really cool story and setting and everything. I, I enjoyed my time sequel. with it greatly. They have a sequel coming, right? Yeah. There's also DLC out that's like a prequel. Yeah, I heard about that where you're playing as the two girls or something. Yeah. Which I believe is the type of prequel DLC that despite the fact that it's a prequel, you're supposed to play it after you've played the main game because it's meaning depend a lot of its meaning depends on you knowing what happens to them later, basically. Yeah. But I've never I've actually never played the DLC yet. I originally borrowed Last of Us. So really? I never Yeah. I only recently acquired <laughs> a copy of it. I have it I have a I've I bought it for the first time, so I have the PS4 like complete edition, but I just haven't I don't think I've even opened it yet. It's just in my I think I bought it the same day I bought uh, this war- uh, No Man's Sky, actually. Huh. And it's just, I've just been sort of waiting for the I got time it. to come to do it. I got it for free as a result of buying my PS4 because they had that, you know, those deals where it's like, get the game, yeah. uh, get the console, get a free game with it. And I was like, ooh, Last of Us, I heard this is good. And then I never touched it because I wanted to play it with somebody else because I didn't want to play it alone. It's a neat game. Uh, there's some getting used to the shooting, uh, not just because it's a console game because, but, but on top of being a console game, it's a third person shooter and it's a, it's an naughty dog shooter. Like I, I don't like the shooting in uncharted. Like I have never even played aiming is a struggle. Yeah. I talked about Aporia, didn't I already? The puzzle game. I don't think you did. No, you, you talked about... You talked about uh, other things, but I don't think you've talk- talked about Aporia. I, I played through Aporia a couple weeks ago, and is that the that's not the light one, is it? The uh, are you thinking of the one where you, the entire game is you deflecting lasers around? Yeah, no, no those are a different one. Those games are actually polar oh. opposites. So yeah, I, I played Apor- that. Aporia was the um, was the Green Man Gaming puzzle game, right? Or no, I yeah. Here, you describe it, okay? But no, I have talked about this because I I think I ta- I think I remember talking. I, I, no, yeah, you mentioned that it was it's kind so of a non game. So hard to remember. <laughs> it's so hard to remember what we talk about. Like I might have brought it up with Shell before because uh, the entire first hour is no gameplay and just walking around, and they blatantly have you walk through an area that's like identical to Channelwood from Mist. They like yeah. So I think you brought it up and you hadn't swamp. finished it yet. Yeah. You had just well, gotten I, through the first like bit. Well, I finished the game now. And so it's it's a baffling video game. Like to to contrast it with uh with Archaica, the other game you're thinking of with the bouncing lights, like Archaica is an entire game about deflecting lights off of mirrors. You like you shoot lasers around like it's that one episode of Magic School Bus. And you're just everything has to go to the right place, and then you solve each puzzle, and then they iterate on those puzzle ideas and, and rise in complexity, and you know do what puzzle games are supposed to do. Aporia has no central puzzle mechanic. 
which is not necessarily a bad thing. Oh, right. You talked about how it just used everything, like Pipe Dream and yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah, I remember now. Like, I've beaten the game now, and the entire game did that. Like, here's Pipe Dream, here's that <laughs> one game. We don't have any where... unique ideas, so yeah. here's everybody else's idea rehashed to fit in our game. And it, was, it was weird because the, the first hour is a completely linear walking simulator section where nothing happens and there's virtually no story and, and there are no puzzles. Then out of nowhere, you get out into this open world and it was weirdly applicable to Final Fantasy 15 where, uh, remember how Final Fantasy 15 had an open world, but most of yeah. the story took place after the open world in yeah, a literal in, like, sense. Awkward hallways and where, like kind of nothing. Where, like canonically the cast of characters leaves the open world in Final Fantasy 15 and never goes back. So in order to make it so you can play the open world more, they had to make a contrived time travel mechanic to make that work in Final Fantasy 15. Aporia does that same weird thing where, like, out of nowhere, here's a big optional open world area full of puzzles. But if you proceed slightly further in the story, you leave it and never come back. And I'm like, what kind of weird design priority system is this? You made this huge open world area that you could potentially skip past in less than an hour and never look back at. And maybe not even fully understand that you were even missing something. But also, you're not kind of missing anything because, like, all that's there is just more, like, stolen puzzles, essentially. Like... Here's the game where you have to get a specific amount of water in a, in this one bucket. And there's three buckets, so you can use the other two buckets to fill and empty different amounts of water. And you, you like that whole game that's in a bunch of other games. And then like you'll turn a corner and, oh, look, here's an open area that's dedicated entirely to lights out. That game where you press one button and the alternating and all the surrounding buttons toggle into their alternate like being lit or not lit state. And I'm like, this is like... The games that Bioware jams into their game because they can't think of puzzles, but that's the the central mechanics of a puzzle game. It's it's so weird. Like I, by the time I finished the game, I was convinced that like they must have. It it, it felt like they were like a walking simulator developer that was insecure in that thought, like they were afraid of being just a walking simulator for some reason. So they'd like we've got to come up with stuff to for the player to play but then they couldn't so like it just it's like a weird uninspired mess like it's such a weird choice because like normally if you make a puzzle game it's because you have a puzzle mechanic that you wanted to explore and like that was the point of the game so it's really weird to have a puzzle game where like the story and the environment were clearly the actual goal and the puzzles weren't because then you're like you're like appealing to the wrong demographic and then putting annoying stuff in the way of the audience that that uh would normally like the type of game you're making because like the people that just want to walk around and look at the pretty stuff and see the story unfold probably don't care about the the puzzles you're putting in their way yeah i i think it's because a lot of people don't know how to put together a puzzle game anymore it's like here's here's this game idea but we have to have puzzles but we don't have many puzzles so how do and you just kind of get this awkward nothing I'm trying to think of the other... There's another puzzle game that I had that problem with, where it's just like, they didn't have any ideas, so they just went with every idea. <laughs> and it's never good. It's just like this... Uh, I feel like puzzle games are like... Uh, they're like board games, where like you can, you can workshop the idea and test it and iterate it on it before you ever make a game. And have ever put like sunk actual cost into the project, which is why I think a lot of them are really good. Is because they're they're so free to experiment with almost no cost. 
and then once they have their idea done about how, what their actual mechanic is going to be, then they can start talking about making it work in a video game. Because, like, there's been a big boom lately in board games where people just... They just get placeholder, like, stock figures that you can buy in bulk, and they get a bunch of, like, cardboard and paper, and they just write out the rules, and they make a shitty cardboard board that they draw by hand as, like, just a framework, and and you just you just work out the rules and you like you iterate it that way and like i've actually play tested a board game that was like oh, yeah. it's pre state before did i did i ever tell you i went to a uh, a board game um it was a board game convention in connecticut and they had it was all board games i thought it was it was like the indie game festival uh in oh, just for board games yeah yeah, but like the weird part is, so it was it was through the Boston Festival of Indie Games, and they were opening up their Connecticut version, and so I got there thinking it would have some like you know developers for indie games, but no, it's all board games. So I get there and it's just people sitting around at, at card tables with yep. half baked board games and like their rule sets on on a USB. It's like yeah, you can buy the rule sets and make this yourself and stuff like that, and it was just very unusual. It was it was fascinating to like I like I got to give their game a theme in a way like I, I was suggesting themes they could go with because they only had mechanics and they only had rules where like there was like monsters and there was magic combinations that you'd use to appease these monsters and things like that just to win points and I'm like you made a <laughs> you made you made a fantasy kitchen game like this is this is like overcooked but for like fantasy monsters and magic it's like you could totally like you can workshop this into an actual like aesthetic with like the the art when you make it and like you could totally be like this like weird fantasy kitchen and like they had not even considered that idea and i'm like it was like but it was like it was a natural conclusion from the mechanics that they had put together at that point and like it's it's interesting because like yeah when you're testing a game it's just cards with stuff written on them like by hand and oftentimes or maybe like like quick like printouts that they printed out and then they cut it uh to make them into cards and then like you're just pl- you're looking at like a times new roman font of like a few words on a card and you're just playing a game based on rules that were written down on a notepad but that's like that's how a lot of uh board game development works is that like you because board games are so straightforward and the mechanics and so on is the entire point of the game you can you can you can basically infinitely test that stuff in this bare bones like almost zero sunk cost context where the only thing you're putting in is your time and your and your your effort and i think a reason why we have a surprising boom of decent or pretty decent indie games that are these cool puzzle games like not like the witness almost doesn't count cuz Jonathan Blow i think is like a rich person to begin with but like you have like in- interesting games like Fidel and and uh, Archaica and stuff like that I think a lot of this stuff comes up because of the fact that, like, you can come up with these puzzle mechanics in a vacuum, while, like, often with while not making... Yeah, well spending... before you actually make the game, whereas, like, if you're trying to make a Souls-like, that is pure programming, good exactly. luck. It's like, the, the pre-production part of, like, a Souls game is all, like, concept art and lore writing. Because, like, the basic gameplay of, like, we want to have a game where you circle strafe and dodge and lock on and have a stamina bar, like, 
the 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 part of that that's like on paper is so sh- almost is almost so much shorter than like the fine tuning you have to do after the game already is in existence and you have to because because those games sk- skill based gameplay usually boils down to like you make the game first to an extent and then you have to keep iterating on its mechanics by testing it because you have to like it has to evolve while it's being developed yeah. whereas you can come up with a you can come up with a puzzle mechanic before you make a game in many cases like, oh yeah like you can like the uh the portal 2 level editor like the what when you, when you look at when you download a portal 2 map you can even see like the portal 2 maps are like they give you that isometric camera angle that that like pre-rendered 2D isometric camera angle of the downloadable like maps that various people have made in the community and like that is essentially even for a 3D game how you'd be like pre-planning the puzzles oh, yeah. of a of a 3 of that- a puzzle game that actually made me kind of disappointed uh, when I first saw those because I was like, oh, like just a point and click, uh, like put portal here to do this to do this. I actually almost wish that there was an isometric portal game where you just put the, the portals down where they should go to solve the puzzle and you're not actually like in there. You're just kind of looking at it from a bird's eye. There uh, might be. <laughs> just there not might be. Quite, I haven't like seen not a, it not a, not a literal, not like literally a like a portal franchise one necessarily, but like. I think there are there might be comparable puzzle mechanics existing out there. I just I love that aesthetic. Did I already tell you about so, Fidel? Yeah, you've told me about Fidel many times. It's so I, good. <laughs> it's it's in the bucket list of games that I'd love to play, but also like I I have so many new things coming Even out. Even that... Andrew thought it was good. That never happens. <laughs> that is I mean, he likes the occasional thing. It that just usually refreshing. needs tits he, norm- in it. he normally only likes platformers. Basically, like he liked. Yeah, he liked Hollow Knight, if I remember right. Uh, he got mad at it because he gets mad at boss fights a lot. Yeah, it's but, true. It like, does have really mean boss fights here and there. Like I think he has exclusively good things to say about Hat in Time, which he binged through in three days. Yeah, which is well, like, it's not a very long game. Yeah, like if you want, but if somebody, you want something, but somebody that's... made a proper Banjo Kazooie type game, which he was waiting for, and like it, yeah, like, that ukulele crushed his spirit when it came out. <laughs> Same here. Like I, I never really got into 3D collectathons as much. The only one I ever really played was uh, Space Station Silicon Valley, which was less collectathon and more uh, combat puzzle game. And so, Hat in Time was fantastic through and through. Um, you should, you should no tell us about it. You should, yeah, you should tell us about Hat in Time because I haven't played it. So, uh, Bert, Bert's playing it now, but Hat in Time, it kind of almost immediately starts off with stupid, and then it stays, like, the good stupid. Like, ukulele felt very manufactured, that they were trying so hard to be ukulele that they kind of forgot that they were going to be ukulele. Um, because the way Hat in Time works is you are, you're a little girl with a hat, just like a top hat, that's it, that's... That's the only thing interesting about what's going on um, about the main character. She has nothing about her that really makes her special, but she's got a spaceship that's powered on time magic that travels the universe. That I mean, the plot, the plot's nothing. I've seen um, one of the first cutscenes, which is but, that uh, like the, the the mafia guy coming up and being like. Yeah. Like so, you, you're an orbit over mafia planet. We own everything, including space. And he's like knocking on your like open window. Yeah, and stuff yeah. Like he's that. Dema- he's demanding money. 
so that you can park outside of the planet or some something. Yeah, and, and like he, opens um, a window directly into space. Yeah, which then sucks up all of your timepieces, which are the uh, which are the power source for your ship, and then you have to go get them, and then then everybody on the planet doesn't want to give you your timepieces back. So you generally have to... There's an entire planet of mafia people, which... Yeah, well, it's it's an island. Yeah, it's an island populated by the mafia of cooks. They don't actually tell you they're the mafia of cooks ever. They're just mafia. Not the mafia, just mafia. And they all have, like, the really goofy, overblown accents and, like, there's no conceivable way that the society actually... Exists. Could or should exist. Yeah. Apparently, they left all their uh, their women behind to go sailing and ended up on the island somehow. But like at one point, uh, you get it starts raining, so the entire area becomes muddy, and so uh, you you can just run around plain uh, plain as day, uh, or you know as normal as if it weren't raining. But you can slip on mud piles if you're not careful, and if you slip on a mud pile, you're covered in mud. And then run around with your arms outstretched, kind of like that of a zombie. And so you start doing that, and all the mafias start running away from you in pure terror. <laughs> uh, which leads into the mission where there's the scientist mafia man who has one of your timepieces, and he just starts screaming and running away from you. And you're just chasing him so you can get your timepiece back, but he thinks he's going to die and stuff. It's magic. It it's, gives you um, this enjoyable, dumb, like, stream of consciousness whimsy to it. Yeah. In a way oh, yeah. where, like, ukulele felt like this, like, cynical joke almost, where they're like, capital B, and it's like, it's the evil corporations are here to ruin everything, and, like, well, they hate creativity or something, and it's like, a lot of the jokes were, like, a lot of the jokes in ukulele almost had, like, a bite to them, but not, like, a, not necessarily, like, a clever bite, just, like, a, I'm a frustrated middle-aged person bite of, like, there was, like, something yeah. that wasn't fun about it. Our our dreams got stolen from us. Yeah. And we're kind of trying to remind like you that uh screw Microsoft. Like this weird sense of like, wow, post post Microsoft rare is just kind of depressing. Yeah. You kinda of don't want like to hang were, out with them anymore. There were definitely like kind of good things about ukulele, but it wasn't enough to really make it worth anything anymore, which sucked, because you know, the idea of those games is great. Uh, whereas this one was decidedly jankier. Like, ukulele had its problems. I would say from, like, a pure technical standpoint, ukulele is probably the better made product. Because, like, yeah, there were there were bugs and whatever. But, like, Hat in Time just, like, flings me off into the universe and all sorts of, like, shitty problems. But I could look past it in every case because, okay, whatever. I just go back to the checkpoint and then keep going. And no, nothing really ever stopped me. Even the bosses were fairly... Uh, kind. Whereas, I don't know, I never really enjoyed any of the bosses in, um... Well, okay, no, let me back up. I didn't enjoy any of the bosses in Ukulele, but I will admit the bosses in, uh, Hat in Time kind of angered me, because there were a lot of times where, like, I'd get them down to their last phase, you know, kind of the berserk phase, and then they stop dropping health for you, but you still have to beat them for, like, a third of the fight without a health pickup, and they've been consistently dropping them up until this point. Um... And so I'd frequently get to, like, the last hit and then die. And then start the whole thing over. And some of those fights were, like, 10, 20 minutes long. Uh, at least the the Mafia of Cooks one was extremely long comparatively. Um, so that was kind of frustrating. But that was about it. The rest of it was fantastic. They just, they had, like, a, a murder mystery level where you're on a train. 
and almost immediately someone, well, not even someone dies, you almost immediately run into other passengers, which are, uh, you've played Psychonauts, yeah? No. Really? Okay, so, uh, for me, it was really poignant, because in Psychonauts, there are these, like, secret agent men in one of the levels who are talking, like, kind of in this weird, halting manner, and they're, like, spies or government agents or whatever, and they're kind of talking like how people who don't know how real people talk would talk, if that makes sense. And so in Hatton Time, you run into these crows that are also passengers on the trains, and they're like, uh, uh, if, if you had a password, what would it be? And, you know, kind of vague like trying to get your your fishing for your information and so you can tell them whatever and so i don't i i think it was asking for my uh i I think it was asking for my my various i think it was my password name of my pet name of my aunt and a couple other things so the first thing i put in was just booty tootie as just like this dumb jokey thing it was like i it it fits and then the next one for the aunt was actually burly keith um and I was just putting it in because it was a joke. And then you get a little bit further in the level, and then it's like, somebody's been murdered on the train. Get back to the caboose. You know, on the double, and you get back to the caboose. And you, Burly Keith, have uh, murdered a person. And As I would. Uh, yeah, and I have to find out why, and if it was really you, and stuff like that. And But it's a murder mystery with Mad Lib using all the the stuff that was asked at the beginning of the level, kind of unbidden. Do you actually and remember the Burly Trog story still, or is no, that an unrelated not, use of that of that adjective? I think I think it's uh, purely unrelated. I if it's burned into the back of your brain from Could old be. WoW discussions. I I would not be uh, I would not be surprised. But so uh, it was it effectively Mad Libbed uh, murder mystery. I mean, ultimately it was just switching out the details. Uh, but the first round through was just kind of wonderful. Unfortunately, I missed like one of the pieces of evidence, so I had to do it again. Uh, I'm watching but- birds vod, and there appear to be raccoons clinging to ca- to uh, pillows, and they're sleeping, yeah, the- and their sleep bubble floats them around. <laughs> yeah, the basic enemies are kind of meaningless in the game. Like you barely even fight them half the time, uh, which is kind of nice. It's almost like uh, they're just of- there. As opposed yeah, to they're being just enemies. there to sometimes hurt you, uh, but the, for the most part, they're like usually that, just kind just of such a weirdly adorable visual way. of this like sleeping creature that does like the anime sleep bubble out of its nose, but then that bubble turns into an actual like balloon proportion and starts le- levitating it around. So it's just floating around the environment, holding onto this this uh, pillow. Oh yeah, no, they're great. Um, but like, the, I mean, for the most part, they aren't even. There aren't even enemies. Well, like there's levitating like couple... over lava and horrible nightmare hazards oh, and yeah. blissful sleep. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> well, so at some point the um the uh the mafia island gets covered in lava because all the uh valves get shut for whatever reason. And so they're just like being like, Oh no, this is almost as bad as when it rains. And <laughs> they're just operating as though like the island being covered in just molten lava is normal, and oh my god, the I just realized are... how much how much bird must be loving the accent part. Oh yeah, well uh, that was the thing. I almost immediately <laughs> cued in on that. I was like, bird would love this accent, and so my entire audience is like, bird is mafia, and bird was super confused about it. 
because uh they didn't know why he didn't know why yeah, he yet, didn't know he why we were yelling these things at him we actually so uh in the second level you run across a uh a owl conductor for like the train that the murder mystery is on and he's apparently got quite the mouth on him because he keeps saying like peck uh really loudly which is i guess the bird equivalent of you know fuck or something uh it was kind of used liberally in in many cases it was just kind of the omni swear um and so, uh, midway through the murder mystery, I'm just like, you know, I feel like we should just go start uh, yelling Peck at Bird, like, a bunch on his stream. So we raided him and just started yelling Peck and making references to the game, which he had never played or seen because he wanted to avoid hearing about it because he was probably going to play it once he was done with Hob. Just going to uh, slowly gaslight him into oblivion. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he is now playing it and enjoying it, but at the time he was super confused, but... You know how Bird has changed his whole, uh, has changed his whole, like, recording setup. So he records the episode, then stops, titles the episode, moves on. He yeah. can't stop for anything. So at the time, he was fighting some people in Hob, and he couldn't, he couldn't, uh, stop. He couldn't, you know, address us because that's bad content. So you could see poor Bird's gears just, um, grinding to a halt. Because he's trying During to process, process what's happening in chat, but he also is in the middle of an episode, so he has to like not talk to chat because you're yeah because of the whole like hybrid streaming recording thing you guys do. Yeah, and he was also dying too, so he was actually getting frustrated not at not only at me uh, and my audience, but uh, at at the game itself. And eventually, his commentary just like kind of cr- <laughs> crumbled, and then I was like, okay, this is kind of mean. We should go friendship, and- everybody. Slightly later, uh, we come back because he's talking about it, and people, you know, start it back up again. And so his uh, reaction is to start talking uh, about uh, what he does for work, which apparently was uh, the most boring thing he could think of. Was it a real story or a fake story that time? I think it was a real story this time around. I thought his other story was real, too, and then then he revealed it to be fake, and I was like, oh, I was invested in that story. I don't believe a word bird says. Story. I thought it was real. I mean, <laughs> if Amazon, uh, so for people that don't know, Bird was telling a story about he, how he accidentally used the vice president's Keurig machine, and they they kept it specifically for him, and <laughs> that you know it was not okay to use the VP's Keurig machine, I, which smells instantly like bullshit because Amazon is got to be covered in Keurig machines. There's no way it's not. Because uh, I I visited Google when I had come to visit you because my friend worked at Google and they had about a Keurig machine per room. Uh, so if Google has Keurig machines up the wazoo, there's no way Bird Bird's office isn't also covered in them. Maybe it's not like also, it, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe well, also, Keurig has a specific company tied to a certain thing and that makes Amazon not happy with them. So, um, my, my mother's office, actually, right before I moved out here, they got a Keurig machine, um, and they couldn't figure it out. And so one day I'm, I'm at home. I think I just woke up and I got a phone call from my mother being like, we can't figure out the Keurig machine. Can you come into Boston to set it up for us? And what? I was, yeah. And so the next day when I'm leaving, can you travel I, to tell us how to use our product that we bought? Because we don't know how to yeah. look, so, look up basic instructions on the internet. 
So I, I went in and set it up for them. And I mean, it was all fine, but apparently now they only use the thing for hot water, which is really silly. Yeah. Because those are not cheap. Yeah, we have a Keurig machine next to another Keurig machine. <laughs> wow. Well, it sounds like your home, uh, the guy that owns your house is kind of weird. No, no that has nothing to do with this him. Is, uh, this is a separate person? It's two separate, because there's just two separate people who live here that both had Keurig machines when they moved in. <laughs> huh. So Fair enough. We get weird duplicate appliances sometimes because people often like to use their own things or whatever or just don't want to throw away the thing they spent money on. And so it's just on a shelf next to the other person's other one that they had and will be there until they leave. It just sort of happens. It's actually something I've been kind of appreciating now that, you know, I'm well past college and living on my own is I'm slowly starting to pick up useful appliances. So we had... For a while, we uh, we were making rice just kind of in the microwave, and then we picked up a rice maker, and that thing is wonderful. And then we've always had a slow cooker. Uh, and then this morning, I woke up, and I'm like, I'm buying a bread maker. So I've got a bread maker coming in next week. I'm excited for it. So I used to have a bread maker when I was like a kid. And then one day, my mother was like, I don't like this thing anymore. I threw it out, and then we stopped having fresh bread for like a decade. And I was like, but bread... But bread. Yeah. What have you it, done to uh, us? She, we could have I think had she more had, bread. I think she had done the uh, the math and realized that um, it was cheaper for her to buy like day old bread at the supermarket than to actually make the bread herself. Because do you go to the do you go to a grocery store that has that kind of stuff? Uh, uh, not so much. Okay, because she goes to like grocery stores that will have like day old bread or whatever, and. She'll buy that instead because, you know, that's cheaper. And that's just always bad. I'm like, please don't do that. And she's like, no, this is fine. I'm like, please don't do that. I live across Put the my street from Whole Foods. bread in you. It's bad. She'll even, like, throw it in the freezer so it's, like, twice old. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to eat any of this. So I've been playing Yakuza Kiwami, and it's been yes. a weird trip because it's the same engine and the same city as Yakuza 0, which is like part of the excuse is that they they made a prequel that takes place in the same location so they can just make another game in that location, which is that they can remake the original game on modern pro uh, consoles because uh, Yakuza 1 and 2 were on the PS2, and those are harder games to get nowadays than playing PS3 and 4 games and so on. Uh, so they seem intent on making all of the console, all the games in their franchise HD. Uh, this is the one case where something's kind of a little lost in the process, which was that Yakuza 1 has a weird backstory of being the only game in the franchise that had English voice acting. Every single game in the series besides that has full Japanese voiceovers and they just never did English localization for voices. They just did subtitles from then on out. Which is normally a good thing, and in that game also, like, the, the English voice acting is generally bad. But it has the weirdest detail of the fact that Majima, the guy with the eye patch in all these games, was voiced by Mark Hamill. <laughs> Doing, like, huh. at, at times, at, at times even, like, jokery voices at times. It's like, that. it's just straight up Mark Hamill, mid-2000s voice acting in this in the first Yakuza game ever made. It's oh, like that. so they actually just ported the voice acting over. They didn't have him redo it. No, so when they made Yakuza Kiwami, it's all Japanese. 
So they redid all the voice acting with the modern voice actors and everything, oh, and it's all in Japanese. Okay. So it's like it's the only, it's this one weird rare case where like one specific nugget is kind of lost in the act of HD of like HDifying it, which is that you lose like the fact that Mark Hamill played the kind of oh. villain of the game, and it's like and that's just I gone see. now because that's that's the PS2 version that has him in it, and he's good in it, but no one else really is because it's terrible voice acting across the board because it's a mid two thousands. Uh, English voice acting for a like mid-tier uh, budget Japanese development game that's an open-world Yakuza game. So it's like it's nothing about this was going to get the best voice acting treatment in, in what was probably not... Let's see, Yakuza Wiki game. I'm trying to check the, the release for it because it was it like uh, Final Fantasy X was like what, 2000, 2000, I think? Yeah, I think it was. Which always shocks me because it was a wonderful looking game for... 2000. Okay, so yeah, Yakuza was a PS2 game that came out in 2005. So it it had it had 2006 voice acting, which is the not a great era for voice acting. Like people were, I think people were happy with stuff like Bioshock a year or two later, and like uh, I think they did a great job with the voice acting at times in a uh, in like Devil May Cry 4 and stuff like that. Like there's some there's some decent stuff around that era, but like. This is on the tail end of like early 2000s terrible voice acting and I think when I looked at the preview videos for this game generally like their original voice acting was like not anything good. But still it means that you can look up YouTube videos of Mark Hamill playing this eye patch Yakuza guy and it's that's fun. <laughs> but uh it's it's got the what besides that the weirdly torn thing about this game is that it is simultaneously benefiting from it's benefiting and not benefiting from being a new game in weird ways where like they are retelling the story of the original Yakuza and they are, there are rewrites and stuff like that, but it's still fundamentally the same story with the same like missions that happen in the same order and everything like that. So like, it's not that great. The story writing, which was weird because Yakuza zero was like one of the best stories I've encountered recently in video games. Like it was shockingly well-written, but that game was like, I think written and directed by a dude that makes movies about Yakuza in Japan all the time. Like, that's, like, what he does on a regular basis. So it's, like, almost as if, like, you had a game directed by Quentin Tarantino. It's, like, it's such a a leap compared to what you expect from video game writing. So it was weird going back to the remake of the first game where, like, the writing is, like, kind of not great. But they've clearly learned a lot over the fact that they, over the course of, like, the ten games they've made. Because there's, like... Yakuza 0 through 6 and then two samurai Yakuza games and then like a weird game where you play as a different character on the PSP or something like they're like 10 games deep now and you can tell that because there's they added uh new storylines to supplement the main story because like in Yakuza your blood brother is kind of your enemy and like he was this likable important character throughout all of Yakuza 0 and they clearly care about that character and want to flesh him out where, where he's where he wasn't fully fleshed out in the original game that started the whole franchise. So to reconcile the fact that the the character in uh, Yakuza and the character that in Yakuza Zero are essentially different people, he goes from being like your most like your biggest sidekick type character to being your biggest villain type character. Uh, they and they added an entire storyline. That that's a series of cutscenes that airs at the beginning of every chapter that fleshes out that character and his transition and what leads to him changing over the course of the game to be uh, the person that you're dealing with. And 
what's funny is that that stuff's actually all super well written and directed and really compelling drama but it's like the B like backstory. It's like the series of flashbacks that you see in a game as opposed to the main story, which is otherwise not that impressive. And it's like it's it's I've never seen this incredibly specific thing before where like a game has simultaneously a story written in 2017 and a story written in 2005 and they're in the same game together running alongside each other. But That's, it's it's, it's a yeah. trip. <laughs> It's, it's it's basically what it is. It's a 2005 video game and a 2017 video game at the same time, and they're just next to each other. <laughs> it's so, so played, bizarre. You've played two Yakuza games now, yeah? Or three? Two. Okay. I, I played Zero, and now I'm playing this. So I'm like yes. halfway through this. I, I feel like for pretty much the last year, you have been playing Yakuza, and yeah. they're starting to blend together, in my mind, because... Whenever I try and look them up, it's just kind of the same game, just slightly different levels of quality. It every I think every conversation on this podcast has always been about the game Yakuza Zero, and okay, that, that's a game I played for eighty episodes, so it was around for a little while. Uh, that game has so much content. Most of it's optional, though. Interestingly, uh, I like that. I would say I like that games you, where you I would can say just be can... like, "All right, I'm done now." Yeah, I would. I would almost say you could just carve through by just playing the story, but I, but your audience would almost certainly being like, be like, no, no, play the side content because the side content is like really funny. I, I feel like you, the Yakuza games would probably be best played if I just like sat down some weekend where I don't give a shit and just play through them. Yeah. The, uh, they've got an interesting tone thing going on that you may, that you might appreciate, which is they, they're games that have like a serious mafia style like main storyline that goes through the entire franchise and those are all of like these well-directed interesting compelling important scenes going back to back and then then they're broken up by like boss fights and stuff and stuff like that as you go between set pieces i almost feel like it would actually be a better game if i didn't play it but i like i wait for a little while longer while shell uh really gets her like solo commentary skills up and then I just hand her the controller because yeah. I think I'd have more fun watching her be react to that than yeah. I myself would reacting to it but what's what's weird about the tone is that the main story is so serious and about you know it's a it's a crime drama but then the moment you wander out of the main story missions it just goes off the wall ridiculous at every possible corner like every side quest is seemingly non-canonical because it can't, it almost like the side quests that are probably the majority of the content of each game almost like can't exist in the same universe as the main story. And they've just committed to that seemingly in every game. And they just are bizarre. Like, so like filler and episodes in any anime. Yeah, almost. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's even the gap huh. where the entire main story is voiced and all the side quests are non-voiced and you kind of just do the voice yourself as a let's player and everything. But it's like fun because they're all these dumb characters where you're like teaching people how to love via Sudoku and stuff like that. <laughs> it's it's a it's a bizarre game. Like as, as part of the non-canonical stuff going on, there's like the, Majima is currently like busting out of trash cans and, and oversized traffic cones to challenge me to duels in the middle of the street. <laughs> And it's like, I don't understand huh. what's happening right now. That is odd. <laughs> like, 
there's a sequence where because like these games have like uh the hostess clubs and stuff like that from yeah. japan and you go to a hostess club uh after the the hostess club tutorial because there is a tutorial for those things because there's actual mechanics which is a whole other thing to go into and majima is just there as the host as a hostess girl to, to surprise you because he's just trying to trick you into a series of scenarios where you'll have to fight him because he's like one, he's that rival that wants to fight you all the time but like turned up to 11 on parody levels and so he just keeps going in these bizarre contrived scenarios and and disguises just to challenge you to duels over and over again and you can call his bluff on it and be like well mate and like you can like just go along with the gate with the date the entire time as if like nothing's wrong (laughs) and and just go with it and call his bluff and just basically just date your uh rival Rival. character (laughs) that's magic they're they're magic games they're so bizarre and like uh, one of my favorite things is that like there's the thing that I'll call like the anime pose where like the moment where a character will like hold an object in like an anime and like the ca- the background isn't instead of being real life is like a color gradient or a spiral or a starburst or something and it's usually like I don't know like say the digi destined hold up their little digi device yeah. thing and it's like in the getting the, the background star bursts on them and, they're, and like they're doing the anime pose where they're like holding it forward or whatever kiryu will do that for like a pocket racer rc car and stuff like that to be like like he'll like join the he'll go to the pocket circuit league where you people customize pocket racers to go on the little pocket racer like little rc car track and race each other and he'll hold his rc forward uh, rc car forward in the depth of f- field will like focus on the car in just the right way and there'll be an intensity of his expression where he looks like he's almost like an oni mask like the that intensity of expression and it's all like these weirdly like like highly directed carefully put together cinematic shots that replicate those kinds of poses from anime but they'll be for the dumbest things like answering a phone or or like <laughs> <laughs> like there's a I'll have to send you a clip later to not get digressed in the middle of the podcast about looking at it directly but like there's a scene where in the because it's here where you go to like the the call centers where you try to like you try to date girls by calling them on the phone in the 80s or whatever and like they and if they liked the conversation on the phone they might go on a, a date with you in real life or something like that and when he answers the phone he whips the corded phone backwards behind his back and like god rays are coming down and shadows are all intense all of a sudden and you can see like the wibbly wobbly like spiral cord phone the spiral cord of the phone warping around him around the room as like he's as like he's sort of still framed in this sort of slow motion slightly moving pose and it's like this is such a weird amount of effort to make the most dramatic looking shot ever in the entire game and it's for him answering a phone in a joke mini game <laughs> i love the work that goes in these games it's completely unnecessary and it's totally the victory <laughs> yeah i mean that's a good way of doing it though like i don't know I play a lot of games that are just too serious. I, yeah. Can I talk about Elex a little bit more? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I've been playing more Elex, and it is it is fascinating, for one, because it seems like every problem with the game... Like, the combat is intentionally bad to be in line with the Gothic and Risen games. Uh, and the developers, instead of being like, yeah, we know it's bad, they're just like, we're just going to wait and uh, wait this one out. Not going to change anything, not going to fix anything. Uh, so, like, I actually ran into a bug that's apparently not a bug, it's a feature. If you're trying to aim down sights and you get hit, your character 
will stand there with the bow in his hands, staring at it. <laughs> and I thought it was a bug. No, apparently you have to reload your bow, because if you get hit while you're trying to shoot, your character loses the arrow and has to pull another one back. But there's no tutorial on this, so I was just running around for 30 seconds being like, what the hell, what do I do? And there was never any kind of indication like, oh yeah, you know, you'd knock another arrow. Because no matter what button I pressed, I wouldn't knock another arrow. Because normally what you do is you just pull the trigger, pull the trigger, pull the trigger. Because there's no draw the bow back animation or anything like that. So you have to find the reload button, which I don't actually know what it is. So I've just given up on archery. Um, but it's this like super serious story about like super, super serious like world ending events. And like uh, you have this faction of effectively turbo ludites that are like no technology. We're going back to the way things were. But apparently we also have magic for some reason, which is really confusing because you'd think they'd probably not be okay with magic either. But they love magic. Uh, and then there's like the have you played Gothic and Risen? No, I haven't. I haven't at all. So this is like my first Piranha Bytes experience, apart from watching a little bit of Funhouse try and play Risen 2, I think, or Risen 3, I don't remember. It, it's been uh, interesting seeing responses, because it, it seems like people are very pleased from their existing audience, so I guess they know who they're making games for or something. Yeah, like it is the classic example of, I, I'd almost say video game Stockholm Syndrome, where they there is quality there, but there's also a lot of shit but the audience is so used to it at this point that they're looking for it to be kind of shitty on purpose. Uh, which is why my my series has had like this really mixed re- uh, response of people who utterly hate the game. When it like they look at it being like, oh yeah, let's take a look at it. And it's just like, oh yeah, this is pure trash garbage. And then the other side, which is everybody being like, this game is amazing, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and I'm like right in the middle of being like, this is kind of okay. Like, I don't have anything immediately better to play and people seem to like me playing it, so I'll keep doing it. Uh, but the vehemence from both sides is hilarious and concerning. Um, but one of the initial problems that I, I've run into, so there's the, the Turbo Ludites, the kind of Borderlandsian bandit people and the religious techno files who like love technology, but also I guess they have like a god maybe. And then there's like the the just like kind of uh the main faction from tech technomancer, pretty much those guys again. You know they have special powers, but they're also kind of inhuman. Ah, uh, and so they're the main villains that your character used to be part of them. God, um, technomancer was a disaster. <laughs> Yeah, so this game kind of is really is in the exact same vein, but um, but so the the Turbo Ludites are the first faction you encounter, and kind of the one that you're kind of implied that you should join first. Well, not join first; you only get to join one of them. But you know, you're kind of supposed to join them because they're played up to be the good gate. They're supposed to be the good guys because they're trying to revive the planet. Problem is, your character uh, to open up the map or the user interface or whatever opens up the digital display on his arm and looks at it. At which point, people will walk past me and, like, put that technology away. And so, like, I'll just be trying to manage my inventory, level up, stuff like that. And I'll have, like, four or five people walk past me and yell yell shit at me, telling <laughs> me to put it, put my inventory away. And technology is forbidden. Uh, and so, like, originally I was like, oh, maybe I will join them because the idea of, you know, being a barbarian. But they just annoyed, uh, they essentially annoyed you to death. Yeah, and so at this point, I'm just like, I will, uh, 
I will burn this town to the ground by the time I'm done with the game because I want nothing to do with these people anymore. Because it is I've learned over non-stop. time that you and Bird don't respond well to NPCs that keep saying stuff. Yeah, oh, I I do not like being... um. I do not like being browbeaten by video the num- game the characters. The number of times both of you have, like, muted the audio of various games we've played to, like, just shut up that any voice dialogue that exists has been amusing. If I if they're saying the exact same thing that they've said before, they have no busy- business saying it again unless it's important. Another it warrior has fallen to my spear! <laughs> your base is under attack, 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 but, like, layered seven times over. <laughs> We're getting overwhelmed here! Yeah, no, that shit's not okay. It's like um, <laughs> it's like catchphrases in in JRPG battle games. I get so sick of hearing like "fury punch," but if that's the only move you use, God, you get really sick of hearing "fury punch." I had that problem with a Digimon I think that New you've Order. Got the point? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had that problem with Digimon Next Order, where your character was effectively a glorified cheerleader, and guess how many lines he had? Five, and he'd cycle them constantly. It was awful. <laughs> um, but so uh, for Elix, I actually got sick of it because effectively you're not supposed to fight things. Your character who used to be this great commander, part of the villainous faction, uh, loses his shit and starts off as a level one character who apparently can't even fight anything. Even other people will just insta murder him. So you have to work your way up by doing little fetch quests for people in town because the wilds are dangerous and they don't have leveled zones like Bethesda games, so you could like walk ten feet in a direction from town, and suddenly it's just trolls uh, that will insta murder you uh, with a rock from any distance, and it's just like, oh, that sucks. And of course, you can't even plink them down with arrows, even if you can find like a cheesy spot, because literally, like, you just don't do damage purely because you're not high enough level. Just frustrating. All right, I'll go off and do fetch quests. And then eventually I got strong enough that I could kind of fight some monsters. So I just decided, screw it. I'm going to go fight monsters, rest, save, reload, repeat, get them to respawn and fight them for a while, gain two levels so I can actually get a move on. Because it was starting to get frustrating. Well, apparently somewhere in this process, my companion character got bugged out. So he insta-kills everything now in one hit. Um... (laughs) It still takes me about 10 hits to kill anything in the game, but no matter how hard the monster is, he will one-shot it. We ran across a combat mech with Gatling guns, and he pulls out his bow and plinks it once, and it falls over dead. At which point I'm like, alright, th- that's going too far, and I reloaded because that's not even remotely close to fair. I've just been watching games melt in my friend's hands lately. It's bad. Like we had that and glitch. So, we had the glitch happen in Divinity, where like you just started getting infinite money, essentially. Yeah, because like the, anything you put down times would now, just respawn. Um. So I've like, I've discovered could, how it was like you could split it if you split any stack in the entire game. The it wouldn't actually change the original yeah, value would of the dupe. original stack. So you just yeah. dupe, and it's like it's, you weren't even doing anything secret. It was just literally basic item management was breaking. Yeah, so I tested this actually the last time we played, and um, apparently it happens if I'm in one of your guys' inventory, and I'm splitting a stack just as you join. Um, Like, I could just be sitting there in the split stack thing. If you guys join, uh, it forces me to be in the split stack mode. It it happens, I think, half the time. I haven't exactly had a whole lot of uh, time to test this out. Uh, But then it just glitches until you restart the game, and I was like, I could abuse this if I really wanted to. But let's not. Like, on the game-breaking stuff, I had a spectacular moment where 
Andrew and I were playing Dark Souls, and he went to go after the uh, Hydra that's in Ash Lake, the second one. And it does that move where it goes jumping from water piece to water piece across the land. And uh, it just died. Like the oh, bottom. yeah, I've heard about that. It can the fall bo- into the pit. Uh, there's no pit there. It's just like it's just jumping oh. from water to water because like that's what it does. It literally just huh. jumped across like it always does, doing that really scripted jump that the Hydra does in the second the second place you can fight it in, and it just died all of a sudden. <laughs> and then, like I look it up, and like sure enough, there's a report on their wiki that like in very rare occurrences the Hydra might just die when it does the jump, and it even said like unconfirmed. I'm like apparently this is such a rare bug that like it's not even widely confirmed to exist in this game. But lo and behold, whenever I'm watching my friends play video games, they just break. And yeah, it's been a weird I, recurring thing lately. I, I'm still mildly pissed that nobody hired me to do QA stuff because I'd be magic at it. <laughs> anyway, shall we close this off? Anything else? I think that's about it. We'll, pro- we'll hopefully answer questions next time. Uh, a lot of them are <laughs> literally... Birds here. Uh, Dress a lot of them are either bird relevant or directly addressing bird or like some of them are like an email that has like three questions for each of us and stuff like that. So it's like answering questions on partial cast or when we have CRPG here or something like that, like doesn't work the same way. So hope maybe next time. Uh, thanks for watching. Like always, guys, we'll see you next time. <laughs>